Good morning. Okay, so one of you. Good, good morning. All right. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Brandon Reed. I serve as one of the pastors here with Christ Covenant Fellowship. Uh, so Pastor Tyler was actually scheduled to preach this morning, uh, but obviously he is not here. Uh, for those that may not know, his son Titus is having some complications. Um, he fell ill last night, and uh, so they called the doctor, and the doctor felt it was best if they took him to the emergency room. So uh, they spent pretty much most of the night there last night. So Pastor Tyler reached out to me last night about 9.30 and said, hey man, I need you. Do you think you could step in and preach? So I said I would be more than happy to oblige. Um, but if you would, please be in prayer for Pastor Tyler and his family, especially for uh, little Titus, who did get a good report. Uh, I got a, a text message from Pastor Tyler this morning saying that uh, Titus is doing much better. They are back home. They are resting. But please, if you would, continue to be in prayer for them during this time. Uh, with that being said, uh, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. This is probably the most popular and well-known amongst the Psalms. If you grew up in church, you probably had this memorized at one time. You may even have it memorized now. Because of the nature of this particular text, it's often read at funerals as a source of comfort encouragement, assurance of salvation for lost loved ones, comfort to those who are left behind. Psalm 23, obviously written by King David, it is essentially a testimony to the Lord's faithfulness throughout his lifetime. This is a hymn of praise. In fact, as we read throughout all of the Psalms, the glory and majesty of God is consistently revealed to us in deep and meaningful ways. There's a genuine beauty and comfort in reading the Psalms. I want to encourage you to make this part of your regular reading and devotion. Each day, read one of the Psalms. It's often been an encouragement to me. It's encouraging knowing that we belong to this unchanging God that saves and delivers and restores time and time again. In a world where commitment is scarce, in a world that is fallen and broken, and corrupted. God is our confidence. It is because of him that we have unshakable joy this morning. So again, as we've already said, this is the final Sunday of our Advent season, and this morning the theme is joy, specifically the joy that we have in Christ Jesus. See, when Pastor Tyler reached out to me last night and asked if I would fill the pulpit, I didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare. So as I was sitting there last night and I'm praying and I'm meditating and I'm thinking, I wanted to keep my message consistent with the theme of joy. So I chose Psalm 23. And I believe these verses are filled with reasons for us to rejoice as they continuously direct our attention to our gracious and loving Heavenly Father. See, this text reminds us of the glorious benefits that we enjoy because of Christ Jesus. As those in relationship with God the Father, these texts are our realities. Brothers and sisters, I hope to encourage you with this time together this morning. My hope is that you would leave here 
hold, holding fast to this everlasting, unwavering joy and security that you have in Jesus Christ. So as we look at this text, I have four points. I know last week I said a good Baptist preacher only has three. This week I have four. I apologize. I have four points that I want to make from these verses this morning. Number one, God is our shepherd, and in him we have all that we need. God is our shepherd, and in him we have all that we need. Number two, God restores us for his glory. God restores us for his glory. Number three, God is our comfort in times of distress. God is our comfort in times of distress. And finally, number four, God is a gracious and loving host. So what I want to do is, using that framework, I want to pray and I want to read this text and we'll work through these verses together. So let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the time that we have to gather together this morning. God, I am encouraged just reading those verses. Father, I ask that with the time we have here together this morning, that you would be glorified. God, as I teach, as, I, uh, as we open this text together, Father, open our hearts and our ears to receive the glorious realities that we find in these verses. And Father, I pray that we would be encouraged during this time, but above all else, I pray that the name of Jesus would be exalted. Father, I pray that your spirit would be at work in and through me today for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so when we read this psalm, we are immediately met with a beautiful illustration. I want you to take note of the imagery that David uses here. He describes the Lord as a shepherd. So again, that is our first point. God is our great shepherd, and in him we have all that we need. Verses 1 and 2, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You see, being a shepherd was a dirty and unpleasant job. It was considered the lowest work, which is why the task was often given to the youngest son within the family. You see, David himself had been a shepherd in his younger days, so he was all too familiar with the duties of this job. And so David says here, the Lord is my shepherd. I want you to consider this. Our mighty and glorious God calls himself our shepherd. This is remarkable. 
The fact that the God of all creation, the one who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, the giver and sustainer of life, would compare himself to something so lowly, so humble, is incredible. And yet this is the God that keeps you. The God that holds you fast. Listen, if you are a believer in here, you belong to Almighty God. You are under His sovereign care and authority. This is glorious news this morning, amen? This is the reason that we rejoice. Christian, your place is amongst His flock. What a great comfort to be sheep of the good Shepherd, Again, if you are here this morning, you've been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, man. Thank God for his sovereign choice in salvation. Praise God that you heard the voice of the shepherd calling you into the sheepfold. Friends, that is the reason, that is the source for our joy this morning. Is that we've been saved and rescued and drawn into the fold. And praise God for that. Listen, being part of this flock is no insignificant thing. This is something to be celebrated. I want you to consider the magnitude of this reality. Remember that shepherds lived amongst their flock. This means they would have been very close to their sheep. They would have smelled like their sheep. They would have known each of them. They would have kept count of them. So they were fully aware if any of their sheep would go astray, if any of them had gone missing. See, shepherds were intentionally committed to caring for their own. And the reality is this, if you are a Christian, God has stooped down to care for you in the very same way. You may ask yourself, well, how in the world has he done that? How has God accomplished this? And the answer is through Christ Jesus, who humbled himself by laying aside his heavenly privileges. He lowered himself and took on flesh. See, we are reminded of the realities of God's plan to redeem and restore his people at this time of year. Right? We look back to the incarnation of Christ, God dwelling amongst men, living amongst his sheep, coming to earth to save a people for himself. See, God's plan for salvation reaches its climax in Christ Jesus, his crucifixion and his subsequent, subsequent resurrection. You see, Jesus is how we are secured into the fold. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus says, I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. See, the Lord Jesus is our only means of entering into this flock. He is the narrow gate into the kingdom. He has provided us a place amongst God's people by his sacrifice. We have earned, or not earned, but we have gained our way into this fold by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, we go back to our analogy. Part of a shepherd's job of caring for a sheep means protecting them, even if that means risking and losing his own life. And Jesus would certainly demonstrate his commitment to his sheep. His love for his own has been displayed by the ultimate act of sacrifice, by Jesus Christ laying down his life for you, for me, for us. Brothers and sisters, this is what the good shepherd does. 
Again, if you go back, John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, in John 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. And this speaks to Jesus' willingness to go to the cross for us. He laid his life down willingly. He says, I lay it down of my own accord. Or John chapter 15, verse 13, as Jesus is addressing his disciples, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christians, this is our joy this morning, that Jesus is the good shepherd, and as such, he willingly gave himself up for the good of his sheep. You see, where sin had threatened to eternally separate us from God the Father, by the blood of Christ, we have been reconciled to God. That is how Christ cares for his own. That is good news to us this morning. See, not only was it the shepherd's job to protect his sheep, but he was also to provide for them. Yes, sheep need security and protection, but they also need food, water, rest, right? Daily provisions. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. See, for sheep, that was a wonderful thing. Free rain with abundant green pastures. See, these pastures represent the constant provision and security that God provides to his own. See, as sheep of the good shepherd, we have an eternal provision. We have abundant and eternal life in Christ Jesus. Grace upon grace, mercies that are afresh every day. God has given us everything that we need in Christ Jesus. See, a good shepherd is always attentive to the needs of his sheep. He knows exactly what is best for them. I talked about this a little bit last week. He knows their daily provisions that are required. But another thing a shepherd realizes about his sheep is that they need rest. They need rest. Brothers and sisters, I want you to take comfort in knowing that Jesus, as our great shepherd, is also aware of our need for rest. And maybe you're in here this morning, you are tired. Maybe you're restless. Maybe you've been wandering. I want you to know God is fully aware of your restless condition. He is aware of our consistent and constant struggling, our wandering hearts, our striving, our fighting, our battling, and our tendency to fail and stumble in our flesh over and over and over again. We have a high priest that can sympathize with our struggles and temptations. He knows we're restless. He knows we are in need. In Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus is traveling through the towns, he's healing the sick, and he's preaching this gospel message, the coming of his eternal kingdom. And in verse 36, he says this. It says this, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like a sheep without a shepherd. And just two, two, uh, two chapters later in verse, or chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says as he is addressing the crowd, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That's glorious news this morning in a restless and chaotic world. God is our 
rest. He's inviting us into this space to lie down comfortably in green pastures, abundant provision, steadfast love. That's good news. Again, that should provide you with great peace and comfort. Friends, there's no need to continue dragging the weight of your burdens or carrying more than you can bear. Our weary and burdened souls can find eternal rest in Christ Jesus. So again, my question is, is, is that you this morning? Are you tired? Are you carrying a weight that is just too much to bear? Are you seeking rest from all of your pain, all of your worry, your failures, your doubts, your anxieties? And look no further than the good shepherd. And praise God we have one that draws us in to rest. And it's not just any rest. He is offering us unending, unshakable, eternity-altering rest. You see, the thing about sheep is this. You can lead them and encourage them all day long, but they will not lie down unless they feel safe and unless they are fed. And what could be safer and more reassuring than being at the side of the good shepherd? What could be more restful, more life-giving to a sheep than full, abundant, rich, green pastures, streams of flowing water? And this is what God in his grace and mercy is inviting us to this morning, to eat of the bread of life, to drink from the fountain of living water that is all sufficient, that is eternally satisfying, and his name is Jesus Christ the Savior. Taste and see that he is indeed good. Delight in him, for it is in him that we have freedom and redemption. It is in him that our souls are satisfied. It is in him that we have this inexpressible peace, this fullness of joy, a hope and a rock-solid assurance that is beyond this life. Church, you are sheep of the good shepherd. He is the one that holds you fast. And praise God for that reality. That he is the one that keeps and sustains us. For if we had to hold ourselves, if we were to attempt to keep ourselves, we would only roam. Unfortunately, just like sheep, we are prone to wander and stray. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us we all have gone astray. We each, like sheep, have turned to our own way. But here we have this incredible and loving shepherd. He's inviting us into rest and security and abundance. But unfortunately, our tendency is to turn literally everywhere else other than him. We seek security and fulfillment in all of these other things, all the things that the world offers us. Rather than turning to the good shepherd, we turn to those things over and over and over again. But friends, here's the reality. Whatever you're hoping to find, whatever you're seeking to find satisfaction in, whether it's money or accomplishments or drugs or alcohol or relationships, whatever it might be, friends, it's all sinking sand. It will not last. It does not eternally satisfy. But in Christ Jesus, we are satisfied. It is in him that we have all that we need, period. You are in need of nothing 
more. That is why David says here in verse 1, I shall not want. Or your translation may say there is nothing I lack, or other versions read, I have what I need. You see, David wants for nothing. He has found all that his soul desires in God alone. Is that you this morning? Can you say with confidence, because I have Christ, I shall want for nothing? Is he your greatest treasure? Is he your all and all, the object of your greatest affections? Are you eternally satisfied in him? You see, this was true for King David, a man who essentially had everything he could want. Remember King David, very wealthy, very prominent. Anything he wanted at his disposal immediately. All of the power and prestige, the position as king. But he says, no, none of that. I am satisfied. I have all that I need in the Lord who is my shepherd. And I want you to notice something here. David doesn't just say God is a shepherd or he is the shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. David speaks with great confidence. No ifs, no maybes, no uncertainty. He isn't hoping or longing for God to shepherd him. David is writing as a man with first-hand experience of the Lord's providence and faithfulness. David had seen God's grace and mercy evident in his life continuously. Even in his moments of despair, David's hope and joy was firmly rooted in Lord. Listen, this is a psalm for the weary. This is a psalm for the reliant. These texts will not resonate with the self-sufficient. Unless you are totally aware of your desperate need for this shepherd, these words will have very little value to you. This psalm brings comfort to those that Jesus refers to as the poor in spirit. Those who are totally aware of their spiritual depravity, their spiritual bankruptcy. Those who know they have nothing to offer the Lord. See, this is a comfort to our souls because it directs us away from ourselves and points us to the glory and splendor of our incredibly capable God. Brothers and sisters, take heart, rest, and rejoice in knowing that you are being kept by this good shepherd. It's point number one. God is our Shepherd. Point number two, God restores and redeems us for his own glory. Let's look at verse three. It says this, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So King David tells us that the shepherd provides us with these wonderful green pastures and these still waters and he gives us new life. See, being sheep of the good shepherd is life-giving. says, he restores my soul. Other versions may read, he renews my life. Listen, as flawed, sinful, broken human beings, that is what we need most, new life. Because we are dead in our sins. What we need is the restoration of our souls. What we need is to pass from death into life, and that's something we can't accomplish on our own. We are all sinners. It is in our nature. Our flesh is corrupt. Romans 5.12 tells us, therefore, just as sin entered, through, uh, entered the world through one man, 
and death through sin. In this way, death spread to all people because all have sinned. All fallen short. What we need is this new life in Christ. Listen, it's no secret that King David had his fair share of failures and struggles. His sin is well documented. But David tells us, in, uh, or he tells us in Psalm 51, verses 4 through 5, he says this, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Brothers and sisters, this is the case for all of us. Because of our sin, we have been separated from God, and we're destined for death and destruction and judgment. That's what we're owed. Death is what we are due, according to Romans 6, 23. But by the blood of Christ and through faith in Him, we are afforded this new life, this restoration of our souls. See, to keep in step with our shepherd illustration, I want you to think of restoration as bringing back those who were lost. Right? The sheep that have strayed from the flock. And God brings us back to him by the power of his spirit, revealing our sin and our desperation. And he leads us back by the way of repentance, by the way of regeneration. And see, while our souls were once blackened by sin, Christ cleanses us completely once for all. Where we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, we have now been made alive because of him. By his grace and mercy, we are brought into this sheepfold. This is the miraculous, redeeming power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6.4 says this, We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. This is the great reality of our Savior's atoning work. Christ laid down his life, securing life for us in the process. Let's look again at verse 3. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, that's what God is calling us to with this new life, to walk in his ways, the ways of righteousness. This means we must be dependent on the Spirit. We must delight by God's grace in obedience. See, too many Christians look at obedience or adherence to God's commands as a bad thing. See, God didn't give you his commands. He hasn't given you his statutes to uh, take your joy or to steal your fun. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God's commandments are meant to lead you to life. They're meant to lead us to life. See, David understood that uh, God is leading us along these paths of righteousness. Friends, I don't want you to make any mistake about this. It is God that leads us. He is leading us in these ways of righteousness. And for us, we can't even find the path to righteousness. We don't even know where to begin to look for it on our own. Which is why we need a righteousness that is outside of ourselves, or what is referred to as an alien Righteousness. We praise God that Jesus' righteousness has been imputed to each of us. That's why God must lead the way of redemption. And he does so graciously and lovingly. Listen, you are never more aware of his grace and love than when you realize how undeserving we really are. 
When you realize how often we stumble along this journey, when you realize that on your own, in your flesh, you cannot walk according to his ways. But rather than abandoning us, rather than leaving us to die in our sins, God, as this great shepherd, he remains faithful. He continues to lead and guide us. He continues to care for his own. And he's given us Christ and clothed us in his righteousness. And why does he do any of this? Why does God do any of this? Look at verse 3 again. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. The Lord leads us, restores us, and renews us all for his glory. You see, the Lord's purpose for creation was to see his own glory displayed throughout the universe. And see, he's gathered a people unto himself, a people to worship him fully, a people to be holy and set apart, to make a name for him. See, even when sin had fractured our relationship with God, he had a glorious plan of redemption through his son, Jesus, and it is all to the praise of his name. The beautiful truth is this. God isn't forced to save any of us. He doesn't have to do this. God isn't obligated to honor anyone except himself. See, relationship with creator God is not provided to us because we were good sheep. We weren't good and obedient sheep. We didn't always walk the line. This is what makes God's invitation to salvation so incredible, so glorious, so scandalous. It is all because he is good, even when we are not. See, redemption is given to us freely by his grace. And it is to the glory of the great shepherd that we would be his people walking in his ways. Because the bottom line is this, salvation is the work of the Lord for the glory of of the Lord. See, the Lord cannot fail, for his reputation is on the line. His name is at stake. He delights in saving sinners, and he does so to demonstrate his glory and his majesty. This is the glorious God, the good shepherd that is committed to his own. He's in stride with his flock, even in the midst of darkness and despair, which leads us to point number three. God is our comfort and our refuge in times of distress. See, verse four says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, David points to a great reality here, what it means to be at the side of the shepherd. The great security and comfort that we get to enjoy. It is with great joy and assurance that in our lowest moments, even in the darkest of nights, the deepest distress, we can turn with confidence to our great comforter. I hope you understand that this morning. If you're sitting in this room and you're a Christian, you can turn to God for comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction, 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. You see, God has purposed to glorify himself and magnify the name of Jesus Christ in all things, even in our suffering and distress. See, during the midst of your struggles in the lowest of valleys, I want to ask you a question. Are you clean to him as your source of comfort and joy? In those moments of doubt, when things are darkest, is it God that you're clinging to? Are you clinging to the side of the shepherd? Or do you see other means of peace and deliverance in those moments? Maybe it's money, maybe it's family or job. It could be any number of things. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you here we belong to this loving, heavenly Father who comforts his children who cares for them deeply. Listen, it's only out of pride and foolishness that we would seek comfort anywhere else. In a world that's ever-changing, that's unreliable, God is our great comfort. He is our safe place. He is our refuge. Even among the mix of emotions, the valleys, the peaks, the triumphs and tragedies, God is the one constant. See, as I stated earlier, this psalm is often used to provide comfort to those that are approaching death. It's often read at funerals to comfort those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. But this psalm and this verse specifically should bring peace to both the living and the dying. It should be a comfort to all people, especially the words, you are with me. You are with me. This is a promise upon which we can stand. God never promises us freedom from trials. He never promises us abundant wealth, full bank accounts, perfect health. But what he does promise is his presence. He promises to be with us. See, the good shepherd may not lead you around those valleys, but he certainly will lead you through them. We are at his side. He is constantly with us. God is faithfully committed to his own. You see, this is our hope and our assurance when darkness and difficulty arise. You can be sure that it will. Trials will come. Listen, I know a lot of people have a hard time with this reality. And then there are some people who go way too far with a verse like this. They'll uh, assume that being sheep of the shepherd means that everything's going to be perfect. It means I'll never have any issues. It means I'll have all the things that I wanted. I mean, didn't David just say I shall not want? Doesn't that mean God will give me every single thing I desire? And we have to be careful not to misinterpret the meaning of that text as people so often do. Listen, yes, as part of the sheepfold, David can constantly or David could confidently say, I lack nothing. He enjoys the comforts of the Lord. But you have to remember, David, too, was a man that had been on the run. David was a man whose life had been in jeopardy. David was a man who had been betrayed. People were seeking after his life. He had sinned against God and faced the consequences of his sin. David had his fair share of struggles and obstacles, as we all do. Being amongst the sheepfold doesn't mean freedom from any tribulation or difficulty. 
But this is why it is so important as we focus in, again, on the theme for today is joy. This is why it's so important to consider the source of our joy. We understand that there will be tribulation. There will be hard time. Where is your joy rooted? Where is it anchored? Where is it coming from? Is it in Christ? Or is it something else? Listen, if your joy isn't founded, rooted, grounded in the eternal and all-sufficient Savior, it is incomplete. It will not last. I think of uh, Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. That means, guess what? Even the greatest joy that you could experience in this life. And I guess Saturday morning, which is Christmas morning, as some of you race downstairs and open presents, it's going to be some great joy some of the gifts we get. Guess what? That is incomplete. That is just a fraction of what real, true, and lasting joy is, and that's only found in Christ Jesus. Only found in Him. We must have our source of joy be Jesus if we want it to be lasting and true, especially when we understand that suffering is a reality. Suffering is a consequence of living in this fallen and broken world. In fact, Jesus promises us that. John 16, 33 says, you will have, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart because I've overcome the world. So I want to point to something else that David says here that is incredibly encouraging to us this morning. David talks about the shadow of death. I want you to feel and understand the significance of this. See, if you're a believer in here this morning, then you only face the shadow of death because Jesus took the full reality of death in your place. And because of him, praise God, death has been removed and there's only a shadow that remains. And if you're a believer born again by the blood of Christ, this is reason to rejoice this morning and always. You are eternally free. You enjoy, you enjoy abundant and eternal life because of Christ. There is no need to fear death. It is only the beginning. Amen? No one's excited about that. There is only a shadow of death that remains. And then we enter into the presence of the Lord. If you're a believer born again by the power of the Spirit, and you enter into his kingdom eternally, death has no grip over you. It is only this body that dies. The soul enters into his presence again where there is fullness of joy. What a glorious reality that is this morning. There's no need for us to fear death as believers. I'm preaching to myself here. A reminder that I constantly need. There's no need to fear death, but also there's no need for us to fear evil. David says, I will fear no evil. See, just as suffering is a reality in this world, so is evil. So is the existence of evil. And the shepherd may not remove the presence of evil in this present time, but his presence does eliminate the fear of evil. You see, in a world where sin and wickedness and tragedy and destruction are an ever-present reality, your refuge and your peace is found in the presence of the great shepherd. Listen, I found this wonderful quote from A.W. Tozer that I thought would be really helpful here. And this is what he said. 
The only safe place for a sheep is by the side of his shepherd. Because the devil does not fear sheep. He just fears shepherd. See, at the side of our Savior, we are eternally secure. See, in verse 4, David also mentions a rod and a staff. Now, these are most likely one and the same. It's probably just, it refers to uh, those large walking sticks that shepherds would often carry with them. And these rods or these staffs would serve a twofold purpose. First of all, they would use these rods and staffs to gently guide their sheep wherever they wanted them to go. So if they were starting to stray from following the rest of the pack, they would kindly or gently persuade them to move in the right direction. The second purpose that they would serve is the rod and staff was used as a weapon, a means of protection. You see, shepherds were constantly having to guard their flock from wolves and coyotes and all of these other predators. And the staff was used to deter these would-be attackers. See, this rod and this staff was a great comfort to King David to know that God guided him, whether it was through loving discipline and correction or by his loving protection. David knew he was totally secure. You see, a lot of us, as we hear that, that, that section, right, we love God's protection. We love that part. We don't want any part of the discipline. We're not so excited about that. This is a great tragedy because God's discipline is security. It is loving. Even if he corrects or reproves us, it is done so as a loving Heavenly Father. It is always for our good. See, God is this great shepherd and he provides all that we need, whether it be discipline or correction. He is the great shepherd that restores our souls for his glory. He is our comfort and protection in times of trouble. That leads me to point number four, our final point this morning. God is a gracious, faithful, and loving host. Verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over surely goodness and mercy Follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, these verses really highlight some of God's greatest attributes, his grace and his mercy. See, that this holy God would welcome sinful, lowly, rebellious human beings to delight in his presence. This is nothing short of astonishing. See, in these final two verses, David paints a picture of God as this gracious host. He says, Lord, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You see, even in the midst of chaos and calamity and persecution, God is inviting each of us to dine at his table. He's inviting you through Christ Jesus to partake in his eternal kingdom. See, God is offering us this robust and abundant banquet that's been prepared by him, this most benevolent host and king. And the greatest treasure and benefit that we get to delight in is God himself. Once you consider God as this host, as this king, 
one that can feed you and protect you, even in the presence of your enemies. He leads you and guides you and restores your soul, all because of his amazing grace. How can you not sit at his table with reverence and humility? You're free to dine with incredible confidence as you feast in perfect security. This shepherd, this king, this host provides perfect peace. There's no confusion, no disturbance, nothing is hurried, nothing is rushed. You're free to eat and enjoy until your heart is eternally content. His table is always open and there you can rest and delight in abundant goodness. This is only made accessible through the Lord Jesus. But what wonderful realities those are. The unfortunate truth is there are too many people who prefer to continue in their sin. They desire their own way. They continue to pursue the world totally uninterested in having a seat at the Lord's table. It's as, it's, as, it's, uh, it's as if they look at this beautiful feast, this wonderful spread that God's prepared, and they say, no, I'd rather eat dirt and ashes. I think I'll pass. You know, C.S. Lewis has a great quote about it, and I'll just read a portion of it. He says, these people are as uh, one as an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by uh, the offer of a holiday at sea. You see, what people fail to realize is that they are not simply rejecting this amazing invitation to eternal life, to freedom, to redemption, to delight. They're ultimately rejecting the one who's extended it. Friends, don't let that be you this morning. Don't continue to reject and dismiss the giver of this glorious gift. There's an opportunity for you to respond this morning to the invitation that is being extended. You see, David knew that God was a loving and gracious host. And it's with great delight that God or David assumes his place at God's table. He was a man that was fully aware of the Lord's faithfulness. He said, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You see, this imagery of anointing is often attached to the idea of blessing. When he speaks of his cup overflowing, that means that's just abundant, eternal blessings that he gets to enjoy. See, verse 6 says this, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're sheep of the good shepherd and we are invited to dine at his table. We are beneficiaries of this promise, of the Lord's covenant that he made through the seed of David. He's promised us steadfast love, grace, mercy, unending. Notice what David says here. He says that those things will follow me. He says, they follow me. Listen, that's God's love and grace and mercy. It is pursuing you. That's life-changing. That this wise, powerful, almighty God is pursuing relationship with sinful humanity. He's inviting us to worship him, to enjoy him, to delight in him forever, all to the praise of his name for his glory. What an incredibly hospitable, loving, and wonderful God he is. I think of Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. We'll prepare to close our time here together this morning. 
And this is one of the clearest invitations to salvation that you will ever find in the Old Testament. We'll read these verses. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Again, what a stunning invitation this is to come and feast freely at the Lord's table, to enjoy his presence. Christ tells us that in his Father's house are many rooms, that he has gone to prepare a place for us. See, the Lord in his amazing grace is inviting us to dwell in his house forever. David says that that is his desire. Is that your desire this morning? To dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we've read through this psalm and we've talked about the realities, the benefits that we have as believers, is that your source of joy this morning? Are you moved to a place where you delight in God because of the implications of this text? And as we prepare to close our time here together, Brothers and sisters, there are those of you in here this morning that identify yourselves as Christians. There are those of us in this room who would say, yes, we are believers who have been born again. And you know the wonderful reality of daily fellowship with God. You know that you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. You know the comfort of being at the side of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Our prayer is that you would truly know and experience the unending joy that you have in Him. But then there's another group of people in this room as well. Maybe you're in here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't know the beautiful freedom of communion with Him. And I pray that by God's Spirit you would respond to his invitation right now. If you're wondering, how can I have true and lasting joy? How can I have this sustainable hope? How can I have the benefits of peace and rest and protection and restoration? Friends, that only happens in and through Christ Jesus. These are benefits that are only realities for believers. So my prayer is that each of us, that we would commit ourselves to Christ, that we would rest and delight in Him and His finished work on the cross, knowing that we are being kept by this good shepherd and that we would walk in paths of righteousness for His glory. And may Christ be our true and everlasting joy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what wonderful truths we find in those verses this morning. That you, God, are our shepherd. That you lead us, that you restore us, that you guide us, that you love us. 
God, I pray that those realities would bring us great joy this morning and that we would ultimately delight in you.